How are y'all? Wonderful. We're back. Hey, right? It's been what? Three weeks? I know. I'm sorry. Three weeks is a long time. It felt like forever to me, too. It didn't feel like forever to me. I'm lying. <laughs> y'all doing good? Everybody doing good? School going okay? Yeah? No. No. Okay. Um, just to start, uh, Connor's sick, so if y'all could be praying for Connor. Connor Green, yeah. He, he texted me earlier. He was like, hey, I'm sick. I can't make it. Please be praying for me. So, yeah. All right, let's get started. Um, so we have, we have things that drive us, right? Things that push us forward, that goals that we set. Things in this world that we're like, yeah, I want it, so I'm going to go get it. And studies have shown, and it's pretty common knowledge among scholars that they all agree that there's two major things that drive us more than anything else. Can y'all guess what the first one is? <laughs> Love. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> it's love. It's a love. To want, a want to feel loved. A want to love someone. To want to be surrounded by love. We, we, we're driven by love. We want to be known. We want to know people. We want to be cared for and cherished by people. And the second one is purpose. It's, it's purpose. People want purpose in life. And that, is that wrong? Thank you for that, Kyle. That was great. <laughs> it's, it's purpose. People want to be cared for. They want, they want to have a goal and know where they're going in life. We spend... I think the average college student probably changes his major three times, at least. It's, it's nuts. We want to know where we're going. And it's been statistically shown that people who don't have purpose live 50% shorter lives than people who have purpose. So we desire purpose. We, we want to have goals and something to shoot for and have meaning in life. We spend our whole lives looking for the meaning in life, don't we? And that's what we're going to cover in Philippians. Those two big ones are what we're going to cover. We're going to see the Philippian church is full of love of Jesus and love for one another. They have purpose in Christ. We're going to see the life of Paul, who has incredible purpose in life, and who loves Jesus and loves these people more than anything. So let's, let's, do, let's jump in. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. It's going to be after Ephesians and before Colossians. When you're, when you're there, make some kind of noise. <laughs> all right, we all there. If you need a Bible, uh, I don't have any up here, actually. Look on with your neighbor. <laughs> or if you have an extra Bible, give it to somebody. Okay. <laughs> Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, which, by the way, that just proves that it's a church. It's the overseers and deacons. It just proves it's a church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, 
both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Uh, stop there, uh, verse 8. Um, first note I always see in this is Paul yearns for the Philippian church with the affection of, of Christ. Those are the affections that took Christ to the cross. So it's, it's an interesting note. And before we get really deep into this, I, I can't help but wonder, why does Paul love these people so much? You know, if you look at other Paul's other letters, the Galatians, he rebukes them immediately, tells them they're doing everything wrong. The Ephesians, he just starts preaching to them about God's sovereign will and the purpose of God's plan. Romans is all about the wrath of God and the not the wrath of God. And then does God choose people? Does he not? Does he love people? Spiritual gifts, all that stuff. And he, he, there's several letters where he, he encourages them. Like, hey, I thank God that you're doing great for the gospel. But he does more than that here, right? He says, I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. And it's right for me to feel this way about you, verse 7, because I hold you in my heart. So why does Paul have so much affections for the Philippians? More than any other church he writes to. What is that? So let's look at it. Go ahead and put your ribbons or your fingers in Philippians and turn to Acts 16. Apparently with ribbons and fingers was funny. <laughs> Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. And while you turn there, I'll give you a little background. Uh, Paul and Silas are on their missionary journey. Um, they're just going through Macedonia, which is a province of Rome, a region of Rome in the Roman Empire. And eventually they get to Philippi, which is, as Scripture will tell us, a major metropolitan, metropolitan area in Rome, or Macedonia, sorry. So starting in verse 12. And from there, to Philipp from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, we were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had, women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she, she prevailed upon us. Um, so they come to Philippi, and they go down to the river where they think people are going to pray, because that's what people did back then. They met at the river and prayed. And they meet Lydia. So Lydia... From what we can tell, Lydia is very wealthy. She's from Thyatira, which is a metropolitan area in Asia. So the fact that she's in Philippi tells us that she's wealthy because she has enough money to move from Asia to Rome, to Europe, whatever. It wasn't called Europe back then, so I'm not going to call it Europe. But she's rich, and she sells purple. In Thyatira, that was a thing. They were known for selling purple dyes and purple clothing. And it's, and it's important to note that she was a worshiper of God. So she, she knew about God. She was meeting with these women at this river to try to learn about God. She had the law, the Old Testament law, and was trying to figure it out. But she knew she was missing something. She knew, she, she knew something was, wasn't complete. And then Paul comes along, and it's important to note in verse 14, Luke writes, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said 
that's incredibly crucial because it's not Paul's teaching that's, that causes her to come to Christ. It's not some cool persuasion or cool story or something amazing that he said. It was simply God opening her heart to his, to his gospel, to his word, to the good news. And she was saved. Paul appealed to her intellect, and the Holy Spirit opened her heart, and she was saved. After that, she was baptized immediately, which I think is awesome. And her household as well. And, it's, and I th- I th- a lot of people seem to think that's like maybe she had slaves that were baptized. Maybe she had a husband or kids. It doesn't say, but those are just guesses. But her household was saved as well because of this. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She's saying, hey, if you've judged me to be faithful, then let me, let me take you in. Let me care for you. And prevailed in this context simply means to take care of, to care for, to give, and food, and clothing, and I'm sure it was a really nice house because she's rich. If you have judged me to be faithful, like they said, like, hey, I'm calling you to be faithful now because of the gospel, so. And she's like, okay, so come into my house and stay. Come have a party at my house. This is going to be great. I have beds and warm beds and covers, and it's awesome. <laughs> so that's Lydia. Lydia's the first person. This is where the gospel starts. And we'll see again in Philippians in a little bit. It says the work that Christ started in you. And this is where it starts. Christ starts in Lydia. So let's move on. Let's continue. Let's see who else starts this Philippian church. Uh, continue in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. That is simply a spirit, a demonic spirit who reveals things to her about people so she can tell things about people that she shouldn't know and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these, men's are, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it's important to note there, she's not like saying, hey, these guys are Jesus lovers. This is awesome. No, she's saying, hey, these guys are Jesus lovers, and they're awesome. She's being really sarcastic. <laughs> I love this. This, is, this makes me laugh. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned her and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. I think that's awesome. Out of annoyance, Paul turns around and rebukes the Spirit. And it comes out of her, and she's saved. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's awesome. So that's that's the second. The second person that was a part of the Philippian church is this the slave girl. And it's important to see the a huge contrast between these two people. There's Lydia, rich, successful, intellectual. There's the slave girl, poor, dirty, probably not that intellectual, probably doesn't know a whole lot and is enslaved. So just just keep your head on that and we'll get we'll get to the to that in the end. Um, continue in verse 19. But when owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. If you're going to cast out demons of people, especially slave people, the owners are probably not going to like you very much because you just took away their profit. Just a important note <laughs> before you start casting out demons. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. 
the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And these aren't stocks like we think, like head and your hands are just hanging. No, these stocks put your legs in awkward positions so they would continuously cramp up. Mm-hmm. No, it's not awesome. <laughs> yeah, so the stocks aren't what we think. They're much worse. These people, the, Paul and Silas are sitting in these awkward things having their legs cramp up over and over and over and over again. Uh, verse 25, let's continue. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. It's awesome, right? They're in these stocks getting tortured by cramps and they're singing hymns to God. Uh, verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Verse 30, And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his fa- all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and he set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. So we have the jailer. So we had Lydia, the rich, intelligent person. We had the slave girl, the dirty, not rich person. Then we have the jailer who's kind of just middle class. He's probably a former, former Roman army soldier that's retired and now is just on jail duty. So maybe, maybe if you can think of him as like a blue-collar worker. He's pretty duty-bound. He probably wants you to just go home, have a beer, and watch the football game after work. So, or whatever they drink back then, wine, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever. Um, and then you got Paul and Silas who are singing worship songs and hymns and like, hey, praise Jesus. We're in prison and getting tortured with a leg cramps, but we're singing praises to God. Nonetheless, and an earthquake destroys the prison. How about the power right there, right? The earthquake destroys the prison. That's like if we were singing songs in here and an earthquake destroyed the church for some reason. Just took it down. Can you imagine? And I don't imagine the prison was small either. And so... Everyone gets out. All the prisons break down. And this jailer's like, he's so duty-bound that he, tested, he takes his sword out and he's about to kill himself because he failed. It's so dishonorable for him that he's going to kill himself. And Paul's like, no, wait, wait. we're still here. Don't kill yourself. And he's like, he's freaking, probably freaking out at this point. The whole prison just collapsed and earthquake shattered it. And he's like, what, what do I have to do to be saved? What do I do? And they're like, believe in Jesus. And then him and his whole household are saved. So we've got Lydia, rich and intelligent, slave girl, poor and needy and probably not that intelligent. And we've got the slave girl, the slave girl, the jailer who's kind of just right in the middle. 
just your average Joe. And we see Christ through the work of Paul break these barriers. We see him break these barriers of all these different classes and social standings to start the Philippine church. Talk about diversity, right? And doesn't this apply to us today? I mean, we've got whites, blacks, Mexicans, Hispanic, or Hispanics and Mexicans, Asians, any other type of race. And let's take a race out of it. We've got jocks, musicians, artists, maybe people who are depressed in what we would call emo or gothic or any of those things. We've got teachers, we've got blue-collar workers, we've got rich politicians and not-so-rich servers. <laughs> this guy. But we have so much diversity and there's so much here in Philippi and we see the gospel break those boundaries. That's what the gospel does. It breaks those boundaries and it breaks through and this is why Paul has so much love for them. He's directly there, right there. This is the start of it all. It's a Christ that Paul, it's a work that Christ started through Paul. So let's go back to Philippians. Now that we got some background, now that we see how the church was started, let's go back to Philippians. Okay. So now it makes more sense, right? Why Paul says, I thank God in all were my remembrance of you. It's not just like, hey, God, correct the Philippian church. They're getting a little off. They're going a little nuts. No, he's like, thank you for their perseverance and joy and love. And he has nothing but joy. Can you imagine that? Praying for somebody and you don't ever have any negative feelings or feelings of like, well, they could do this better. Or like, maybe I need to tell them more about Jesus. No, it's, God, thank you for these people because they have persevered with me in you, in the partnership of the gospel. From the first day that you started until right now, when he's writing this from prison, and Paul is in prison in this letter. I forgot to say that. This whole, this is a prison letter. Paul is writing it from prison. And we'll, we'll understand that more next week. Where was I? Yeah, and, and he says, like, in verse 7, it says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of both of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So it's clear that the Philippian church has been strong, has persevered in the gospel in Jesus' name. And he's, he's encouraging them in it and thanking them for it. And he's saying, oh, this is so good. Thank you so much. You're so good. And it's just so rich and beautiful. And that's what Christian community does. That's what we should strive for. That's what mature Christian community does as we persevere. Persevere through everything. And we're going to see as we continue in Philippians what everything means and what it means to say to live as Christ, to die as gain, or what it means to say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or what it means to say... It is, I do not care for the present sufferings of this world compared to knowing Christ. This is what a, a mature Christian community looks like. They persevere in Christ together through imprisonment, through suffering, and through complete joy and peace. And Paul is saying, ah, I yearn for you with the affections of Christ. 
I love you so much, and I'm so proud of you, and I'm so excited for what God's going to complete in you. It's beautiful. And it's amazing how Christian community can affect the world. Um, uh, a renowned atheist known at, named Matthew Paris wrote an article about a trip that he took to Africa. He grew up in Africa. Um, then he comes back and he writes on what the Christian community does in Africa. It's incredible. Let me just read part of it to you. By the way, it's incredible how God will use atheist words to advance the gospel. I think it's awesome. Uh, before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to the country that as a boy I knew as Nyasaland, which is now Malawi. In the, in the Times, Christian Appeal includes a small British charity working there. He's talking, he's going to see this nonprofit, non-Christian dig a well, is what he's talking about. Pump Abe helps rural communities to install a single pump, letting people keep their village well sealed and clean. I went to see this work. It inspired me, renewing my flagging faith and development, development charities. But traveling in Malawi refreshed another belief too, one I've been trying to banish all my life, but in an observation I've been able to avoid since my African childhood. It confounds my ideological beliefs, stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview, and has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the world of secular NGOs, government projects, international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. I used to avoid this truth by applauding, as you can, the practice work of mission churches in Africa. It's a pity, I would say, that salvation is part of the package. But Christians, black and white, working in Africa, do heal the sick, do teach people to read and write, and only the severest kind of secularism would see a mission, hospital, or school and say the world would be better without it. I would allow that if faith was needed to motivate the missionaries to help, then fine. But what counted was the help, not the faith. So what he's saying here is, I've seen these Christian works, these communities, and it's great that they're doing these things. It's a shame that they have, they, they're Christians, though. It's a shame that they have to have faith a part of it. Because I just don't believe that. He's so against it. He's like, it's, it's a shame. It's a part of it. Let's continue. But this doesn't fit the facts. Faith does more than support the missionary. It is also transferred to his flock. This is the effect that matters so immensely, which I cannot help but observing. So you have Matthew Paris, who's like, I don't want to believe in Christianity. I really don't. I hate it. I don't want to believe it. It's a shame. I think it's stupid. Nice to applaud almost condescendingly at all the Christians who do their mission work in Africa, but I can't help but see how it transforms lives. I don't want to believe it, but I have to. It's the facts are there. The faith transforms. And he goes on later to say that there's a difference in their eyes. Isn't that incredible? That these Christian community people in Africa doing mission work that could easily be taken as, hey, you're like invisible children. You're saving kids. That's a great work. I applaud you for it. Thank you for helping people. But no, he doesn't just see that. He, he applauds them for their work, but he's like, I can't help but ignore the faith these, these people have. They love God. 
and it transforms them, and it drives them, and it changes lives, and the spiritual transformation is real. And I couldn't find if Matthew Paris is a believer now. Um, I tried, couldn't find anything on him. He's, I guess, not that well-known in the worldly circles. But it doesn't change the fact that he's struggling with this. That this mature Christian community that just rallies around each other in God and love for people just pours out of them makes this man who refuses to believe in God say, I can't help it, but Christianity does a great thing. The faith is real. Do I believe it? I don't know, but the faith is real. This is what we should strive for as a community. To pour love out on people. In your schools, your sports teams, when we go serve people, whether that's as a group or you go and just talk to some random person in McDonald's and say, hey, you seem lonely. May I sit with you and talk to you about Jesus? Yeah, I know that's crazy, but it could happen. Why not? Right. And it's, it's incredible. Let's move on. Um, Philippians 1, chapter 9. Philippians 1, chapter... Oh, sorry. <laughs> chapter 1, verse 9. My bad. Um, there's, no, not, there's not nine chapters in Philippians. There's not nine chapters in Philippians. That's a lie. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now he's, he's told him how much he loves him. He's saying, hey, I have so much joy for you. Now let me encourage you with my prayers. And he prays. May your love abound more. <laughs> May your love just overtake Philippi, overtake Rome and Macedonia, just like it's overtaking Africa. May your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So may not just be blind and you just go love people. That doesn't do much. Learn the gospel. Learn who God is. And don't just know knowledge, but know the depth of the knowledge. That's what discernment he's talking about, to know something deeply, to have spiritual direction and understanding. So don't just know the facts. You can be a Pharisee and know the facts. Know who God is. Be known by God. Know the depth of who he is with what he's given us, because we obviously can't know everything, but he has given us some. Go love knowing God and, and just saying that knowledge to people. You have to know him is what he's saying. And then he says in verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. Not only do I want you to love God with knowledge, proclaiming who he is, but I want you to be able to prove what is excellent and be able to discern between the gospel and what's not the gospel. You know, we saw that in First John last year. All the different ways we can tell what's not the gospel and what is. Who true believers are and who true believers are aren't. <laughs> Sorry, that totally distracted me, that noise. I don't know what that was. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. They, he, he, he's saying that if you abound with knowledge and love, 
And the proof is excellent. You will be pure blameless. You will be persevered. You will stand before God on judgment day and go, ha, you know me. I know you. I love you. Let's, let's, let's worship you forever. Incredible. And then filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, he, he, he attributes everything to Christ, and we're going to see that constantly in Philippians. Everything is Christ started, Christ fin- finished, and Christ sustained. That's what the gospel is, right? We are sustained by Jesus. Only Christ sustains us and moves us and allows us to love him at all because he's the one that gives us the faith to do it. Scripture says, I'm the author and perfecter of your faith. It's only through Christ that we can grow and it is filled with the free righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ that we do it. We learn that right during the summer and through the winter and summer, I guess. But the fruit of righteousness comes from Christ, which is the Holy Spirit living inside of us, teaching us and molding us and guiding us. It's incredible. And all of this is to the glory and praise of God. All your love and community, knowledge and discernment is to the praise of God's glorious name. Your salvation is the praise of God's glorious name. The gospel is the praise of God's glorious name. And it is all about the praise of God's glorious name. We just get to be a part of it. What an honor, right? What a joy. You know, Paul is writing this letter with joy. Even though he's sitting in prison, he's writing this with joy because of what Christ has started in Philippi and bring to finish. And it doesn't take much to be a part of this, right? You know, we have all these bars that people set for different groups. You know, if you want to play football, you got to be, you got to be athletic. You, you want to be decent at football. If you want to be in AP classes, you have to be at least somewhat smart. You have to reach a certain GPA. That's the level. That's the bar. If you want to be in a certain social group, you have to act like these people, dress like these people, have similar interests. But with Christ, it's not like that. With Christ, it's simply confess the Lord Jesus as your God and your Savior. That's all it takes. That's all that's all that matters. It's not even about what you do. And yeah, Paul's expressing joy because of they persevere, but that's not what got them in the first place. It wasn't Lydia worshiping and trying to study the law on the riverside that got her into the kingdom of Jesus. It wasn't the slave girl being possessed by demons and then cast out that got her into the kingdom of Jesus. It wasn't the jailer preparing to kill himself and seeing some glorious miracle that got him to Jesus. It was simply the gospel being preached and Christ opening their hearts. Our miracles being performed and Christ opening their hearts. It doesn't take much. We can all be a part of this. And most of us here are. But we're surrounded by people who aren't. You know, I preached on this three weeks ago, or four weeks ago, when we met last time. We're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. All of us are. So may we be bold for the gospel. May our love, may our love abound with knowledge and discernment for people to see Christ. May, may we just be 
student ministry that prays that God would use us. May we come together in love and in Christ to abound like the Philippians, to prepare our hearts for more, because there's more after this. Like, this will end. This isn't like an adult men's group that could go on forever until you're 60, you're 70, you're 80. You know, you're going to graduate and you're going to go off into things. So while we're here, the goal is simply the gospel, to come together in the gospel and love Jesus and know Jesus with discernment and knowledge to approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless before the eyes of Christ. And that's what we're going to do. That's why we're going through Philippians. That's why we're not doing topical. Because I feel like Philippians is a great place to show this community. And the topics will be addressed as we go, because that's what Scripture does. It's living and breathing. So let's, let's strive in this together. Let's strive to be like Philippians, and we'll see more and more. There's only four chapters in this book, but they are very meaty four chapters. We're going to go through it all semester, so let's do it. Let's, let's dig in see what God has for us. Let's pray together.